0: Well, 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 my friends, greetings and felicitations, children of technology. We are entering a dimension, Hatros. Indeed, I'm Alan Averill. This is episode 100 of Agitators Anonymous just a singer in a heavy metal band etc etc all those kind of things as i stated last friday in the podcast that for the foreseeable future as long as my will somehow remains reasonably intact hanging like a thread i shall be endeavoring to make two podcasts a week tuesday will be well Today is, well today's Monday, tomorrow will be Tuesday, as long as we manage to see tomorrow. Um, I'll explain, I'll explain. So we get to the 100th episode, and what is really the first, I suppose, of this new, I'm not even going to call it a format, because that would suggest um, something a bit more professional than in reality is really happening. And that is that Tuesday, um, as I stated, today for you, tomorrow for me, um, is going to be The podcast for music, industry talk, heavy metal, maybe some stories. Who knows? I might have to dredge up my grey matter for some other silly stories. Or informative um, observations, whatever you want to call it, around anything to do with these topics. Music, industry, music, rock and roll, all that kind of thing. Um, It might be a little bit shorter than Friday's episodes. It remains to be seen. Um, But Friday will remain what it has kind of been a bit more all over the place Um, I realized pretty clearly that there are those of you um, and I must thank all of you for the numbers recently are rising exponentially Um, there are those of you who really support um, the opinions about politics culture history and all that kind of thing and you guys want to hear more about that You want me to tackle more difficult issues, judging by some of the messages that I get. You're supporting the fact that I'm, well, you know, uh, this is one of the few metal music podcasts or podcasts done by a musician, I suppose, if I can call myself that, I will take a small liberty with that word. Um, One of the few podcasts that is speaking out about all of these kind of things that stands up for free speech is against censorship and actually... Um, You know, although, of course, I'm accused of fence-sitting sometimes. Sometimes the fence is the best place to sit when you consider things inhabit the grey area of life most of the time. Um, Even though our modern culture pushes us to make binary choices constantly, decide on who is good and who is evil. Some of us are both, I guess. The point being that... um, this is one of the podcasts, or one of the few podcasts, at least, at least that I could find, by a musician who is dealing with some of those things, however clumsily you may find it, or however much you may disagree with me. As I said, if you do enjoy the podcast, which is called Agitators Anonymous, so the clue is clearly in the name, then give us a good review, share it with people, word of mouth, this is how the podcast gets bigger, if you know somebody who would hate it, then good, by all means, use me as a stick to poke them with Um And, you know, you can leave a good review, that kind of thing. This helps the algorithm. I haven't said that word in a spooky way for quite a while. And my point being, there are those of you that um, really I can see resonate with, uh, you know, the fact that I'm talking sometimes about the culture wars, about politics, or whether it's recently just about Ukraine or that kind of thing. And I clearly understand um, that there are those of you who are just sick to death of hearing any more words on some of those subjects. Um, I understand clearly both points of view. Personally, um, to explain, as someone who has always been interested in history and, th- and through my music, um, lyrics, interviews, um, aesthetics, you know, which the art represents, have always tried to define what I have to say through a prism of our relationship to all these forms of culture. The idea that I could start a podcast um, while lockdown was enforced, civil liberties challenged, censorship of the debate, and now, of course, war in Ukraine, among so many other things since we started. Um, <clears throat> whether it's the characters from history, I've done specific podcasts about the idea that I could start a podcast and discuss none of this, and only dredge up heavy metal stories and banter, and let's say keep it lighthearted and not go near any difficult topics. I mean, look, that was never going to happen, was it? I'd simply run out of things to say. Well, or maybe not, maybe not. I mean, that seems somehow unlikely, and anybody who knows me is thinking to themselves right now, I don't think that that's true, Alan. But what I mean is this it may seem unlikely to you, but it can hardly be surprising that the podcast has, of course, leaned into elements of the culture war or whatever else, all of those, um, all of the above. Could it be any other way? I mean, let's be honest. It couldn't really be any other way. All things considered, Jack of all trades, master of none. The podcast is sponsored by MetalBlade.com. They are the main sponsors. And if you're listening in North America, use the uh, promo code ALAN to get 10% off in North America. You'll find links below if you're looking on YouTube. Um, I'll post them actually in the description of the show to um, some Metal Blade compilations I made on Spotify, Introduction to New and Old Bands, that kind of thing. And if you will forgive me before I start into what I'm going to discuss, um, two more podcasts a week. Of course, is a lot more work and time for me, and believe me, it doesn't pay. So, without sounding a bit ridiculous, I am actively looking for new sponsors and new advertisers. Like I said in the last one, if you have a cool, I don't know, ninja star throwing company, maybe you're making Scatter Cushions of um, Dokken on Etsy, um, even though I have seen scatter cushions of myself on Etsy, I don't think you've really made it as a modern um, influencer until you've made it to a scatter cushion. Anyway, um, or maybe you've got something cool which has tons of coffee in it, caffeine in it to make my heart race and get the day started with a smack to the jaw, please get in touch because i'm actively looking for new sponsors and as i said we're pushing well over three hundred three hundred twenty five thousand listens across all platforms uh, hit me up in the dms we can work something worthwhile out maybe maybe not anyway a couple of questions i got over the past week seem very pertinent and that is simply how is the current crisis the war in ukraine going to affect the music industry so first things first this discussion. Well, it's not really a discussion, but this podcast is in no way meant to trivialize what's happening in Ukraine and the terrible human tragedy that is unfolding there right now. It's just a conversation, um, a conversation about how all of this is going to affect the music industry, affect musicians, affect every aspect of it. And so I'm going to try um, and cover some of that, try and get across a couple of different bases, look at what the knock-on effects might be. Some of them very simple that maybe you might not have thought of or perhaps you've thought of more than me, hit me up in the comments below and let me know if these things make sense to you or not. Well, now, first things first, and I mentioned it last Friday in the podcast, is that, and I've mentioned it, I think, in the previous couple of weeks, is that I feel as a society, as a culture now, we are going to be in this feedback loop of emergency after emergency after emergency. I think that the powers that be, whatever you may want to call them, And I certainly don't mean that in a conspiracy theory way. Like I said, the use of those two words to put down a conversation, to put someone down, is just lazy by and large. It's just a casual, um, empty couple of words that don't really mean very much because there are powers that be, that do make decisions, that do affect your life. This much is not in question. But the fact is that the pandemic changed the game in the sense that Um, just to talk about it for a moment before we launch into the music industry. But of course, it set precedents for things which previously had no precedents, And it showed those powers that be, you may fill in the blanks as who and to what you may think they are, that people will accept certain rules now. They will accept being locked inside their houses, etc., etc., amongst many other things. But what it's also proved is that a heightened state of emergency is just simply good for business. It's good for an old dying media model, which needs us to be outraged and angry constantly. And I have this feeling that we're going to be, you know, in the in the click driven economy. Um, you know, you can see this now as we move just straight from the pandemic into the war and the crisis in Ukraine. Is that there is, a, as I said before, a terrible sense of inertia and tiredness among people. And while people are like that, um, there are many, many um, agencies, there are many of these powers that be that will see that you never let a good disaster go to waste and therefore disaster capitalism, whatever you want to call it, rushes in to fill the gap. And I have a feeling that once Ukraine sort of retreats into the rearview mirror, however that may be, not to trivialize it, there will be something else. What, we, what I look back now as the sort of mental downtime of maybe even the mid-90s, the mid-2000s, I'm not sure we're going to get those calm, stable periods anymore because too many people have simply too much to profit and gain from that. So I think that we may be as tiresome as it is. Maybe it's just me who feels this, but I don't think so. And we are going to go from emergency to emergency. How? So how will this affect, for example, live music? Let's just jump right into that. Well, first off, I have experience directly of the effects right now, as, of course, Primordial is preparing for the heathen crusade to doomsday with Swallow the Sun in Rome, which is starting in about three weeks. The dates are below in the description. And I can see clearly that the costs are spiralling. And almost all of them heaped onto musicians. As they say, um, without sounding bad, shit runs downhill. And it may sound, of course, like I constantly complain about all of this, but musicians are generally last in line in regards of all these things. Um, The first mitigating circumstance is the price of gas. One thing that Ukraine um, and the crisis and the war is going to prove to be is an energy um, war. It's an energy crisis. Um, Over the last 20, 25 years, for example, I think Germany last year was getting, or the other year was getting 56% of its natural gas and energy from Russia and the Ukraine. And then, of course, this gives Putin great leverage when it comes to uh, what is unfolding now. And this, you know, I'm not going to get into the reasons why Europe, um, I think I've addressed that in the previous few few podcasts as to why Europe um, wanted to have this um, dependency. Go back and listen to the last few who want to see that, but let's talk about the music industry. Um, So the first mitigating... um, circumstance situation in terms of the music industry it's just a really really simple one is that musicians have to travel especially if you want to see them live they're going to have to get to that venue near you how are they going to do that so the price of gas petrol sounds very simple and um, I think we are so far undergoing or will begin to unfold over the coming months a very similar crisis to the um, one in the early 1970s so maybe let's just take a look. Well, a short look over what that actually meant. It's in the 1970s there were energy crises across the Western world. One in 1973 and then one in 1979. Um, these followed. These were basically, I suppose you could say, the Middle East trying to take the power back from the West in some no uncertain terms. The West was relying on most of its petrol at the time from the Middle East, and of course, um, look at the history of um, European, you know, colonialism, an empire in the area. There'd be a, you know, British Petroleum Company, all that kind of stuff, their origins within those states. Um, So the major industrial centres of the world sort of had to contend with rising, rising prices related to the petroleum supply. Basically, I suppose you could say the Saudi Arabians maybe on some level just kind of um, tweaked the lever a little bit like Putin is doing. And the West was very reliant on the Middle East. And oil prices surged, and of course, when oil prices surged, it has a knock-on effect to all other aspects of the economy. And many economies began to go into what they call um, stagflation, which was a sort of term coined at the time. Of course, some countries did all right out of it. Norway, this is where you got lots of your money. But anyway, um, how did it? It did. It did even affect the music industry at the time. There's no doubt about that because um, the. Of course, one of the things I'm going to talk about is. Just the simple fact that this raw material, oil, is what went into making vinyl, and there was a huge, uh, I suppose, the cost of um, vinyl pressing went up and up. And you'll now probably notice in the early 1970s, the mid 1970s. Won't notice, but maybe if you do a bit of digging, vinyl sales would be sitting at four, five, six dollars. And these, these, um, each physical copy, the price went up and up and up, as I think is going to happen now. But we'll get to that. Um, now, whether what's happening right now unfolds in a similar way to the 1970s remains to be seen, but certainly there are similarities. You have the West in the early 1970s was dependent on a Middle East that it had previously controlled, and then on some level, and then, or at least had political leverage or influence. And then you have the current situation whereby I suppose the West considered the fact that it had defeated communism in the 1990s, and I suppose on some level had one, and I'm doing parenthesis there. And so therefore I um, thought, well, thought it would seem not much of um, its growing dependency on Russia and the growing, um, the growing, I suppose, military, you know, you parallel that with the growing military um, aspirations of Putin and we get something similar to the situation that we are in. And the West again was dependent on Russia. Russia, whereas in the 1970s it would have been um, Saudi Arabia, I suppose, specifically, or at most. There is actually a really interesting interview, I think it's with the Saudi Arabian foreign minister on BBC in like 1972 or 73, and he just basically states in no uncertain terms in this interview the world order has changed. You are no longer as powerful as you thought you were. It's worth tracking down to have a look at this very um, the smile on the man's face tells it all, but there's a it's a very significant moment in the history of um Western society well, I suppose in all societies in the history of the world because it sort of it leveraged some power back and away from the west on these terms so raw materials oil the price of oil, which you remember, may remember of several years ago was very um was barely anything at all. And of course, the lower it is, the more it um, fucked the Russian economy. So as this oil continues to rise and rise and rise, they say it might reach three hundred euros or dollars a barrel. I don't know about that, <clears throat> but let's see how this relates to the music industry. On simple terms, as I said previously, touring is of course not only. Um, well, I mean, you know, just to uh, you know sidetrack myself once again, touring is. Uh, at least for me, the purpose of making music or the immediate the immediate correlation, as in to be neo-spiritual about it. If I can, this is where the communion between band, musician and listener sort of takes flesh, where the flesh meets the bone. Without this and the movement, the agency of playing live, there is really not much point, at least for me, in making metal or rock or punk or India, whatever it is you're making. Is there any real point in it if you can't be in a room um, with the music, with other people? I would say those, that percentage drops and drops and drops. I would certainly see no real reason, for example, just as an example, making any more Dread Sovereign records, which is sort of forged in the fire of heavy metal if there was no agency in live shows. Anyway, I digress for a moment. Oil, petrol costs, etc. Um, in a world where, well, let's just say, in a world where during the pandemic, um, it would feel to me we have been in training Uh, being prepped to stay inside, to consume within our four walls and hand over our individual sovereignty and right to freely travel um, to a form of new state technocracy and the whim of big farmers, profit margin, then obviously this is going to affect gigs. This is going to affect live music. And what that represents culturally and socially is, you know, perhaps, I mean, of course I am um, spitballing something very broad here. And I'm not saying, again i'll get to this that things will disappear but they are under threat from this i think what the um the prepping is for this new kind of stay inside get those goggles on my friends lifestyle but touring is where really um you know as they say the rubber meets the road for bands And it's also the only place they can really make any money anymore. Now, we'll get to what that profit margin might be reduced. But the heightened petrol and gas costs, of course, they're just going to make it more expensive to get from A to B. So getting in a van, getting in a car, getting in a nightliner to get from A to B. And as oil, as I said, moves past $115 a barrel, with some saying it will reach 300 plus, um, you just have to pay for petrol. And clearly clearly, this cost as I have first band experience of in the last couple of weeks, is not evenly shouldered, I would say, by all involved in a tour. It ends up with the musicians, and the musicians' bottom line being affected the most. In one week, um, uh, I would say anybody organising a tour at this moment, who had it booked a month ago, is now looking at um twenty thirty percent of that if there was a profit margin going. And if you were right on the line, now you're into the red. Or is it the black? No, it's in the red. Right. Yeah, you're in the red a quarter, 25%. And you're just gonna say, well, what are we gonna do? We're gonna have to are we gonna have to use merch sales for petrol money? That's probably where you're looking at. Road tolls will go up. <clears throat> Companies that haven't been working at full capacity for over two years, I don't think they really care that musicians are in, let's say, the same boat and haven't worked for two years. And let's be clear, even though no one wants to hear it, the entire process begins with musicians writing that song. Um, You know, without that, there ain't no work for anyone, any crew. Of course, it's a complicated complicated spiralling argument. But, of course, being a musician, I generally always err on the side of musicians fundamentally, because um having experienced 30 years in the music industry i can see how unfairly weighted it is against musicians and so the idea that we all start from where we left off before the pandemic i mean it's probably unrealistic except for musicians of course unfair but then again like i said when was the music industry ever fair to musicians whinge 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 yeah i know i know i'm just explaining it right But the simple fact is that filling the cost of that nightliner or that tour bus is now going to be 20, 25, 30% higher than it was. And those costs are going to be handed over to musicians. There's no doubt about it. So what happens then? Well, I mean, basically the profit margin disappears. So bands will essentially become, um, I heard a great uh, quote, this is a great quote from the drummer of Exodus, um, Tom Hunting. He just said, oh, we're traveling t-shirt salesmen. And there's a lot of truth to that. Um, or traveling t shirts, um, saleswomen, or whatever that's the case may be. The cost of running a tour will be passed on to you, the consumer. Um, so you can expect um, gigs that were 18 euro three years ago are now going to be 24, 26, 28. You can expect 25 to 45 euro t shirts, 75 euro hoodies, 40 euro plus vinyls alongside 30 plus euro tickets most likely of course not for maybe local shows that kind of thing but venues of course are raising their booking costs because they've had two years on the dry, they've had two years without any income probably um, having taken in huge loans trying to survive everything is going to go up basically everyone raises their costs to deal with this new reality I will say that I doubt that bands are going to be able to raise their fees. We've all been told, really, as musicians, that you're going to have to be more realistic, quote-unquote. You're going to have to tighten your belts and prepare for this new economy and prepare for the reality that you're going to make less than you did three or four years ago, even though everything else, the costs of which are going up. It's really the two and a half, two years of the pandemic, basically just has dealt a huge body blow to the entire music industry. As I said, everyone will raise their booking costs. Bus companies will raise their booking costs. They will go, well, we haven't made any money for two years, so what did cost you €950 a day for a nightliner, maybe, or, you know, €900 a day for a nightliner five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, that's now €1,150, and you're going to have to pay more for petrol. And you're also going to have to pay more for the road tolls, which are going to go up. So... Of course, if you're a band from Berlin, uh, you know, who wants to play in the fucking dive bars across Germany every weekend and you're going to get in the car, get in the little van and you never made any money, I would say not much will change. You're going to have a little less beer money, that's for sure. Um, And you're going to have to hustle those T-shirts a bit more and you're going to have to stand around the merch stand a little bit more and maybe add a couple of a couple of euro to the costs. And big bands, big, big bands can be insulated from a lot of this. And a reasonable adjustment to costings can still work for them. I.e., I'm pretty sure that, well, I would imagine that ghost shirts on the current run have gone up two, three, four, five dollars than the previous um, tour. Or maybe they're just charging one dollar, two, three dollar more on the beer so the venue can appropriate some of those costs. Who knows? But it can work for very big bands. And also, the very big bands work with the very biggest um, elements of the industry who have a bigger lobby. Um, And as for bands who never made anything and are out there trying to do their best to raise their profile, sweating it out to 50 people in a dive bar, such as my other band, Red Sovereign, would do on a Wednesday or Thursday night, I think not much will really change. I mean, they'll still make no money. In fact, they might be on a little bit of a loss. Well, you know, as I sit here thinking about it, maybe it's unfair to say that not much will change. Some things will change. Certainly, they will, of course, make less money. If everything costs more, then this is going to affect them as well. I suppose what it is is about not the aspiration but the idea that if you never made any money before you're not going to make really any money now. Um, But for bands in the middle who made something and that something was enough to make some kind of difference to life not a lot, not a lot, but some. Such as my own, such as Primordial, these are the bands who I think are really going to get it in the neck. The big bands can be insulated and find other revenue streams. But the bands in the middle are the ones that I think are going to, it's going to be much more difficult for. So it will be entirely possible that if you decide, oh, I love this band, I'm going to follow them across three or four gigs in Europe, and you go, god damn, there was 250, 300 people every night across Europe to see them. This seems like a reasonably successful venture. But once tax is accounted for on all of the aforementioned costs, as I said, it's very possible that the musician from headlining band XYZ will come home with less than a crew member. Um, and what can we do? It's very difficult to say. In truth, very little. The reality is, it's very simple, is that this is, the, you know, the bedrock of this crisis is about energy. It's about oil as well, as, of course, um, all of the, you know, historical, geographical, propagandizing claims <clears throat> Putin has made. But there is, uh, as leverage there, energy. And if the war was to reach a conclusion, the energy crisis, let's say, went off the boil, as it did in the early to mid '80s after the crisis in the '70s, um, are all of the people, uh, the companies, and those involved in the industry going to pass these savings on to everyone else, be they you, the customer, um, at the, you know, or um, to the musicians who are shouldering most most of the costs? Um, are they going to reduce those new costs and newfound charges to back what they were previously? I doubt it. Um, we're going to, you know, are they really going to say, well, we're going to remove that and go back to where we were three or four years ago. The world doesn't really work like that anymore. I mean, look, our government's going to hand back um, any of those emergency laws they brought in during the pandemic. Mm, probably not. Are big tech going to cease censoring what they deem misinformation when the world has moved on to something else? Also unlikely. So, So, of course, well, and of course we still have to deal with the fact that there are still some countries and there are still many areas that are still having restrictions in place. Um, As I said before, and I've started to call the whole thing some form of a pantomime, um, there is those who are within power, maybe in local autonomous regions, who are just, they just simply quite do not fancy giving up the power that they accrued during the pandemic times. And they don't really wish for people to go back to the where they were before and for gigs to happen without, as you say in Germany, 2G, 3G, various restrictions. So this is a whole other layer of information that's now got to be processed by booking agents, by bands. When you show up to X venue, you're going to literally have to know, well, who is on the door and what's their thoughts on this? What's your thoughts within the bar on this? Are you guys, I know a story of one band who showed up to a gig in Germany and the owner of said bar just decided arbitrarily, I think everyone needs to get an antigen test. And everybody who was queued up then had to go and get an antigen test from somewhere. The local chemist didn't have enough. And people were sent off basically scurrying around looking for antigen tests. And um, there was no legal requirement for this. And he didn't really have a legal basis for this. But this is the, what has kind of happened. We've Through the pandemic, we've empowered people in terms of middle management to make decisions um, which directly affect... Charters of Civil Liberties and Human Rights on some level. Oh, it's not really about civil liberties and human rights. I mean, of course, this is before we get to the issue of insurance, but I'll get to that. But local venues, local um, people in positions of power are, of course, making other decisions which are still based in this pandemic um, economy or whatever you want to call it like this. Now, I stated... A year ago in a podcast, um, a friend of mine reminded me online. He said, oh, that thing you were talking about a year or so ago is now coming to pass. And I've talked about insurance. The simple fact that insurance companies, after two years of taking in the neck, are going to be out looking for blood. And they are going to raise their rates I mean, you probably saw the tussle between Hellfest and their insurers. And I don't know of one other very, very big famous festival who now have had their rates raised almost 10 times as much as it used to be. And I think this is going to happen to a lot of big festivals, unless there is some sort of mechanism to stop insurance companies gouging the big festivals. But um, they're going to be to run a festival and apply to the local council, I think, Um on the same insurance terms as you were gonna get three or four years ago before the pandemic is not going to happen. I think there are gonna be way, way, way more costs. So maybe that festival you went to see, that cozy um, sort of, uh, I suppose, what do they call it? Boutique festival for maybe 65 Euro is now gonna cost you 130. Mark my words, insurance companies are gonna have a lot to do with this as well. So where is this gonna leave you? The listener, the consumer, the music fan. It's going to leave you hurting in the pocket as well. I mean, don't forget, you're going to have to fill your car to drive to whatever festival you're going to see if you're going to um, decide to take the camper van, as many Germans do, and just travel around every weekend and see different festivals. I mean, it's a a brilliant brilliant lifestyle as a music fan to just go, well, this weekend we're at Wacken, and then we're going to go to Full Force, then we're going to go to wherever else, Chaos Descends. Brilliant. Why not set up the camper van? What a great way, as a metal fan, to spend your summer. Um, but it's gonna leave you hurting in the pocket, and I sense what's gonna happen is that it's gonna make seeing live music a luxury experience, which I sense I sense is part of the plan. Or at least it's a correlation. At least it's a it's a knock-on effect, at least in a sort of world economic forum vision of our authoritarian future. That's a social cultural aspect of our lives we took as our right to gather, to commune, to listen to music, either for a festival, or who knows, even for a Political gathering, a protest maybe, to be controlled by elements of the state. And I will say, maybe you went to see Bruce Springsteen once a year, and I will never miss a chance to um, say how much I detest Bruce Springsteen's music, but once a year, and you then gush to your mates about how much the boss embodies the spirit of live music. Well, think on. Maybe you got a city for the night, and you know, you escape from the burbs, etc., and you go. You're happy to be scanned and tagged and have your data mined by third-party companies for ad purposes and pay 135 euro for a ticket and wait in line for 10 euro beers. And then you can, you know, revel in those songs about how the working class man struggles, etc, etc. Whatever he sings about, whatever sentimental muck. Then you probably won't notice much of a difference. But where live music really lives, as I said, in a sweaty, dingy dive bar with a sticky floor and a staff and staff of ill reputed certainly heading for some kind of extinction or at least a very close run thing those places don't really exist kind of anymore or very few of them and post-pandemic they are really struggling how are they going to incre- cope with their minor well not minor how are they going to increase with um heightened levels of insurance we've also noticed i suppose that the housing bubble didn't collapse that was predicted during um during the pandemic in fact rent went up so places where alternative culture where live music where all of those things those small communal spaces they've become harder and harder to um, for them to exist within cities i mean part of that of course is gentrification and the simple fact that you know people kind of suck now or well let's just say or well anyway yeah let's just say they have different tastes as i said part of that is gentrification it's easier for example and i'm being flippant but i'm also probably well, I'm not probably. I'm on the money here. Um, it's easy to it's easier to go, in my area, to Saturday morning hot yoga and then a slam poetry brunch than it is to see a rock band on a Friday night. Um, at least to see several or have some choice. There is, of course, one or two places there where it's still possible, but. Culture has moved on. People have moved on. They're different. The kind of people who can afford to live in a city these days, the nighttime culture and what it used to represent is not what they're interested in. The new middle class tech folk, the people I've been calling the pajama party over the pandemic who um, wanted to be locked down um, stronger and harder. The influencers and the digital living brigade are simply not these kind of people. People change, sure. But the people who added color and difference to a city are simply now priced out of it. We have some good examples of this re i suppose is that you have um the cobblestone which is a really famous traditional irish pub um which you know was bought over and they were just going to build apartments i'm sure there was some russian or chinese money no doubt behind them maybe Um, and people were all up in arms but this is the process of gentrification that's been going on for 10 or 20 years and you want to say to those people who it's like did you only just notice this now um, even the um, the rock bar that exists in Dublin, Brussels, which has the famous Phil Linnett statue outside, you go downstairs now there, and it's mainly pop music. Counterculture, alternative culture, whatever else, finds it very difficult to survive against the forces of all of these things, whether it's rent, whether it's gentrification, whether it's the fact that most that many people now just don't have an interest in those kind of things anymore. You know, people change, I get it. And I digress, old man shouts at clouds, but I have a point, right? And even if you disagree with some of those points, most people clearly concede the negative and positive points of gentrification if they really think about it. So, where are we with all of this? Let's be clear. An energy crisis will also affect the raw materials needed for pressing vinyl and for pressing CDs. Plastic equals CDs, etc., etc. And, and I don't think I've heard any small label saying anything positive To say about their local postal systems where costs are just going up and up and up um and i can see this myself with postings shirts and vinyls from dread sovereign that we sell on Bandcamp, um even on a small scale that the prices compared to three years ago are insane they're you know and you you don't forget the vinyls you're getting you're also having to order them in previously from the record company so you're paying import duty on that you're paying the postage on that which then you have to pass on uh, to post out again to people and it's really getting to the stage where posting out a single vinyl if, to send it from Ireland to Australia for example could be 20 euro and that's before you take into account the packaging how much it costs to send the vinyl to you the reality is you have probably got to send sell that for 50 60 euro to make anything um So very small labels are really being squeezed and you would wonder how much longer it can be tenable for them to exist the same way they did, smaller to middle-sized labels. Bigger-sized labels can be insulated to a point, they have bigger mail orders, they can do print-on-demand shirts, they can do all sorts of special editions, that kind of stuff. um, If it's your desire and whim to own bobbleheads for €150 or whatever. Um, But I would have no doubt they're probably shedding some staff. Or, well, maybe they aren't. Or, well, again, well, indeed. Why don't you game or twitch? There are other revenue streams out there. Well, you know what? Really? Of course, the podcast takes a lot of time and it would be great to make a living from it. Um, And I guess once upon a time, this might have been a radio show and you could make a wage from that, etc, etc. But times have changed, of course. The reality is that making, asking musicians to become editors, TV presenters, influencers, content creators, which let's, be clear most people are now at the heart of it to make some kind of a living to survive Um, it just doesn't really work like that it works for a couple of people you know maybe if you subscribe to Ola Englund's channel um, the guy who does all the he has a really cool channel where he talks about guitars and he learns songs and this and the other and believe me he certainly doesn't he has a band as well that I can't remember the name of which sort of speaks volumes but he certainly doesn't make any money from his music he does play in the haunted as well but he makes his money from his YouTube channel, but his YouTube channel is huge. Like, it's a huge channel. Um, this is not an option open to most people, especially not your average musician who, as I said, was in that middle ground and needed playing live to make some sort of income. But of course, I don't want to make this whole thing just sound like uh, just a, a, you know, a podcast about complaining. And although I haven't really said it much, there's no doubt flights will also go up and um, Recently I've got a flight for a friend in a band to go from to connect from one European capital city to another connecting in one other point and it was 450 euro without a guitar. This is not tenable to fly in and out of a festival. Of course there are still reasonably priced flights here and there and if you look around but to go in and out of a festival in Europe I think those costs will go up. And those costs um flight costs come out of a band's fee at the top before other people take their percentages so again this cost will be passed on to bands and not really evenly distributed you know it remains to be seen but i think this summer it's going to be the profit margins are going to be much 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 smaller And i think those costs are going to go up and of course as i said they come out of a bands fee now the airlines were clearly propped up by governments during the pandemic not allowed to fail and even if there are technocrats who feel that we would all be better off sitting at home with our goggles on in front of a screen there are of course Many, many countries who need their tourist industries or some form of it. So they propped up the airlines. So does that mean travel will become a luxury item like it used to be 30, 40 years ago? Very possible. So my friends, Tuesday's rock metal music industry podcast is just a ramble about where we might be headed um, as regards the energy crisis, the war in Ukraine, all that kind of thing, and how it's going to have a ripple effects because there is no... Um, you know there is no action without a reaction, and so it may seem like something you've not really thought about. But I guarantee you, even as a consumer, um, even though your tickets probably are valid for the festival you bought for them in 2019, when you go to said festival now, you will find like, oh my god, the beer is a year or fifty more expensive, or the merch is more expensive, everything is more expensive. Or maybe you will buy a ticket for something in um, August or September, and you will, and you'll go, wow, oh, this ticket is. more expensive. This is just kind of how it's going to go, I feel. All the things are just going to get more and more and more expensive. So maybe this all sounds overly negative, and I hope, of course, to be wrong. I'm not saying live music is completely under threat or the industry is completely under threat. It will survive. We are heavy metal cockroaches after all. But the feeling somehow to me is that we are being prepped for this kind of localized, internalized life whereby the state is kind of saying to people, well look, you have all these things within a five kilometer radius. What do you need to fly to, I don't know, to Slovenia for Metal Days for? Sure surely you can just go to the local bar, local field opposite me. Um there is a you know an open air space. Why can't you just go there and see the things that you're interested in, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. As I said, cultivated five kilometer living. Don't forget we the restrictions we lived under. There was a five kilometre radius at one state prepping for this new future. Well, it remains to be seen. As I said, it's not all going to die off. I'm not really suggesting that, but what I am saying is that the costs of everything are going to go up and it's going to be, I think, a little, a very rough and bumpy time for the music industry. And that is before we even get to what's going to happen. What's going to be looming up for us after the Ukraine emergency? Could it be another strain? Could it be the struggle over digital ID cards, which I think will come after the summer? Maybe, maybe not. Well, my friends, this is Tuesday's Agitators Anonymous. Episode 100 is, um, I suppose, a quite negative discussion or maybe a realistic discussion about the impacts of um, what a war economy is going to do Um, in relation to an energy crisis and how that will have knock-on effects for the music industry. Hold tight, my friends, and if there are bands playing in your local area, try and get out there and support them as best you can or find ways to um, deal directly with musicians um, in a transaction, whether that's Bandcamp, which I suppose is the really only equitable platform there is out there, that kind of thing, because without that... Um, I think that an awful lot of people are going to be uh, struggling even more. Agitators Anonymous, episode 100. See you on Friday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.